we are into Luke 9, and um, I don't always pay a lot of attention to the titles that the Bible study gives to the, the lesson. Um, I mean, it's like an afterthought or something if I do, but this time I thought, gee, this is, I looked at it and I said, this is very, very appropriate. Following and knowing Jesus. Um, so we're going to really emphasize that part. Um, So let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you've given us and preserved through time your word, your written word, that we can study it and read it. And it's through the the power of your resurrected body um, that we can open up the pages here in the guidance of your spirit. So teach us, um, open our minds to your glory. Amen. Okay, we are in... The Transfiguration. And I confess, I'm an old lady. Well, I'm six. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> to some of you, I'm an old lady. Let's go there, right? And others, were, I'm not. But I'm 66 years old, and I became a believer when I was 11. And it never ceases to amaze me, God's Word. And the Transfiguration has always been one of those things that I never really paid much attention to. But I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that this, this time in my life studying this Scripture, it's amazing what I hope can be communicated to you today. We're going to be up on a mountain And then we're going to go back down to the valley. That's kind of how the proximity, the geographic location that that Christ and his disciples are doing, or Jesus and his disciples are doing. So we start up on the mountain. And it's eight days, in verse 28, chapter 9, eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. Undescribed mountain, we're not sure which mountain it was, but... Eight days after these sayings, what were the sayings that we just happened? This is important to know. The sayings that just happened last week was Christ was confessed. Peter said, you are the Christ, son of God. And it was confirmed by Jesus, yes, he was. So that was the big saying, revelation that was spoken out loud, confirmed by Christ. And there was great joy Great joy. But then he tells them he must go to the cross. How do those things play out? He's the Christ, the long-awaited one, the the hoped for, um, the chosen one. And now he's going to die on a horrible death on a a Roman cross. How, How do these things come together? So now there's bewilderment. You talk about an emotional roller coaster. These boys were going through it. So... After those things were said, Jesus takes these three men and he goes up to this mountain. And it says in verse 28 that while he was praying, and remember we already know that he's prays when he communes with God. It's a, a level of communion that far surpasses anything that any human can participate in. He's communing with the Father. He's praying the perfect man, the second man, Jesus Christ has humanly lived his 33 years on this planet sinless. 
He was able to do it. He was the perfect man. The first man, Adam, couldn't do it. The second man did, the perfect man, and there was perfect harmony and fellowship. Worship is the highest function of a human nature. So here the human side of Christ was worshiping and fellowshipping with God his Father. And what happens? Now the, the, the disciples that are with him are kind of a little bit groggy right now, but what happens in verse 29? As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. The form of his face was changed. And his clothing became dazzling white. There was something different about him. Um, Matthew 17, the parallel gospel to this, says it shone like the sun. His clothes became dazzling white, glistening, flashing with splendor, almost looked like a lightning. I mean, you know when you, you see a lightning strike and it's like, whoa, that bright light. It's really bright. And it's like a, so, and it's glistening and brightened. These are the English language trying to describe something that supernaturally we might not even have words to it. But he, they've given us enough words to help us understand it was a brilliant, glistening, glowing thing, okay? Mark and Matthew use the words transfigured. He was transfigured. Luke does not use that word. But what it's saying when it's transfigured, there's a metamorphosis that happened, which means the complete change of form and appearance. He changed. Not to go back to what he was. He changed. Um, It wasn't a light from heaven shining down on him. It wasn't a spotlight that's making his clothes all glow or whatever. It was a transformation within himself that changed. It was also not because of his deity shining, because the deity, deity has no earthly spectacular form of manifestation. A deity is a, a role, a description of who you are. I'm, I'm a woman. I'm not a transgender. I'm a woman, okay? That's a description. Deity is like that. Um, So it wasn't like, oh, his deity just started shining. No, it was he was transformed into somebody else. So if it wasn't lights and stuff, what, what actually did happen with Jesus? Jesus came to the completion of his human life. 33 years Walking sinlessly, he had completed it perfectly. And now the change took place in him to prepare him to leave this earthly life and to pass on to the infinite wonder of the life that lies beyond. It was his time now to go on to heaven, infinity, the next domain that we have, where we go when this life down here is over. Had Adam not sinned, Adam would have been transformed. Okay? You following that? But death happened because sin was involved. The first man, Adam, ruptured that relationship with God and became a wreck and a ruin. So he was down here. 
Second man, Jesus, successfully completed his human life with no sin, and so he did not need to die because what? Death is a result of sin. He didn't have to pay a penalty. He didn't have to do that. So he was good to go. You've got to keep that in your mind. He was good to go. It had, he had completed that part of his life. Jesus could have left then, but the Father had work for him to accomplish. Okay? Could adapt it out. I did. I've completed it, but whatever. But the Father and his love and obedience to the Father, the Father gave him work to accomplish. So now in verse 30, we go and look at these two guys, or these um, um, the two men that are with him. Verse 30, and behold, behold, again, it's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> two men were talking with him, um, Moses and Elijah. Two men were talking with him. Why these two men? These are almost like the the send-off crew to where he was going to go. They're talking to him. Moses, the great giver of the law, he was the lawgiver that came. The law came, why? To show us that we can't uphold the law and to expose in us the fallen nature that we have. We're not perfect. Elijah, the mighty defender of the law, he defended the law and he stood for the law and he fought for the law. These two men were there with him in their glory. Moses died. Ah, drat. Moses died. I think it's in Jonah. I'll have to get it. Ken texted it to me, and I forgot to put it in my notes. Moses died, and when he died, um, Jude, I think it's in. um, He was in Jude. Um, Celia, you want to run and get my phone out of my purse for me? Thanks, honey. Um, When he died... Um, Satan fought to get Moses' body, remember? He fought for it. He wanted it. There was something about it. It was like, no, the law is going to stand, whatever. We're we're going to destroy whatever happened here. There's going to be death. I don't know what Satan's plan was for that. Elijah, he didn't die. He was swept up, right? And I have it written down, the reference to that. That's coming on my phone right now. Um, So these two men are standing there, and they're conversing with Jesus, the perfect man, um, God's second man, the son of man was there, and they're in their glory. Um, Thanks, honey. Oh, you even found it for me. So Moses is in Jude 1, verse 9, and 2 Kings 2 is Elijah's story where he was swept up. So, they're there. What's the topic of their conversation in verse 31? The topic of the conversation is, who appeared in, they were in their glory, and they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The departure that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. He was going out, he was going away, he was departing now, um, and he was going to accomplish it in Jerusalem. The word is the same word for exodus. He was leaving the mountain, he's not going to be taken into glory, could have, 
But now this mission has started. So they were there talking about his going away from here, his exodus. And what was happening in Jerusalem at that time? What were they celebrating? The Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is Israel's exodus from Egypt. Okay? Setting the people free. Going out. So that's where he was going. These three men, um, Peter, James, and John, are the people who he was, Jesus was referring to in verse 27 from last week. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And I told you Jesus was the kingdom of God. How can someone be a kingdom of God? What they saw was Jesus in his glory, king of kings, in his kingdom. And they were two subjects there. Moses and Elijah, in their glory, that represents the kingdom of God. You've got a king, and you've got subjects. So that vision is what they saw of the kingdom of God. When they became fully awake, they see all this stuff, rubbing their eyes, and they're open and everything. And they're talking about this, going in his departure. And in 32... They're talking about his departure, and Peter's there. Good old Peter, kind of the spokesman. We, can, we know a little bit about Peter's personality, don't we? Peter, and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw <clears throat> his glory. They saw his glory, and the two men who stood with him. And as they were departing, when they were going about to leave, Peter said to Jesus, Master, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he didn't know what he was saying. Let's let's camp out here. Let's, Let's stay here. This is good that we're here on this mountain. You see where we're going? Jesus isn't staying here. Not staying. But this is so good. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Peter... Peter wanted to make three tents. He wanted to stay there. This is great. This is the kingdom of God. This is great. He had good intentions, but God had a different plan. Um, His plan, Matthew 16, we go there, 21, 16, 21. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that you shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Peter's already been told of this. Right? So he didn't know what he was talking about. He just got caught. I mean, who wouldn't get caught up in that spectacular event? Who wouldn't have wanted to remain in that beautiful, peaceful, I'm sure the ambiance was just on a mountain and all this stuff. I mean, yeah, let's just chill here the rest of our lives, right? This is great. And Jesus was maybe tempted to do that, but he didn't. 
He had a plan. He set his sights on Jerusalem. So Peter says this, and what happens? He's already, Jesus has already told him. So here comes dad, the father, is going to come down and say to him, 34, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud, as the cloud encompassed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one of those days of anything that had, they had seen. Clouds are usually represented by angels, great cloud of witnesses. I don't think it was misty um, dew in the air. I, I believe it was a... Because Christ, God the Father, is always surrounded by angels. So it was a heavenly host. It was a, a spirit. And it's not like, it wasn't like this. It wasn't a form like this. It was a form of probably a cloud-like form and whatever that came in and white and whatever and just encompassed them. And from that presence, God spoke to them. And then it lifted um, and they kept their mouth shut then, didn't they? They were basically saying, Jesus is not staying here. He is going to Jerusalem. He is not bypassing the cross. Because that's really what it was all about. How can we make it so he doesn't die for these people? How can we make it so that part doesn't happen? You know. Um, so they come down off the mountain. They're not talking about it. We know if we go to the Mark passage, Mark, I mean Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 17, verse 9, it says, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And they probably zipped it, because they heard from God the Father, right? The authority came in. So they come down the mountain and when they get down there, the scene that they have is a demonstration, a reinforcement on why he's not staying here. This is why he's not staying here. 37 and 40. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. For he's my only child. There's a parallel here. You probably all are smart enough to pick up on that, right? Father, only son, God, his only son. Behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, and he convulses him, and then he forms at his mouth and stutter, shatters him and will hardly leave him. I mean, this demon was throwing this kid around like a rag doll. The other gospel says they throw him into the fire and everything. This child was tortured tortured by this demonic influence. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do that. Here's a picture of why truly we needed a Savior. If Jesus had not come down off that mountain that day, if he had gone on to glory, this boy would have remained in his state that he was in twisted and distorted and foaming at the mouth and it just would have 
I don't even want to think about if he didn't if he didn't die on the cross and do this. I mean, it would be not a good thing. <laughs> I mean, really bad. Forty-one to forty-two is a harsh reality of the fallen world when innocent children, the child from birth, didn't he say he was like this from birth? Um, how long has he been like this? Um, and it just would not leave him alone, would not leave him alone. 41, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring me your son. And while he was coming, the demon had to do one more last in-your-face convulsion or whatever, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Jesus is going to return to the father. After this work is done, after this healing work, this restoration, this redemption plan that he has, when it's completed, he will go back to his father, and he's sitting at the right hand of God right now. And all were astonished at the majesty of God and what he was doing. The boy was restored to his father, a faithless and twisted King James says a perverse generation. That's probably a better word because twisted can be a, an okay thing. But perverse generation needed a savior. The people had turned from the truth so much that it was so bad that Jesus, the Son of Man, had to die. He had to go to Jerusalem. It had to be, it had to be completed. Jesus tells them to um, not say anything about it. In 43, all were astonished at the majesty of God, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. In other words, remember the words that I'm saying. Do you ever ever read something and you can even memorize it, but you don't really understand what it was yet? Because it says down here later, they didn't understand And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, but they were afraid to ask him for more explanation. They didn't want to press the issue. But what Jesus was saying here, it wasn't like he was telling them something and then say, hey, forget what I told you, or I'm not going to tell you what it means, whatever. He wanted them to remember the incident. He wanted them to remember these words. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Remember those words. Jesus knew that they probably couldn't handle the bigger picture. He only gives us as much as we can handle. We know that, thank goodness, because if we really had spiritual eyes to see what was going on out there, I think we'd be crushed. So it's a matter of this is what you can handle right now, and you're in a need-to-know situation, and when you need to know more, it will all all come around. And so they said, okay, we're not gonna, we just heard from God the Father. We're not going to mess this one up because he's going to come down again, whatever. So we're going to pay attention here. Jesus had to go to the cross, suffer, die, and be resurrected. That is the total picture. Before we can follow someone, we have to know who they are. It's not complete if we don't know the cross and the resurrection. It's not complete. But to truly know who he is, to be able to follow him, we have to know that about him.
So, here we are in this perverse generation. And our, you know, the disciples are um, having a little argument amongst themselves. Verse 46. Arguing. Remember? This is why Jesus had to come. Perverse generation, self-centered generation. Now, granted, if I was a disciple of Jesus at that time, I might, I'd probably get a big head. I'm sorry. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus? You know all about him? I mean, that was an elite group, wasn't it? So human side would kind of take out a, you know, take control and stuff, and maybe they were bickering about <laughs> the fact they couldn't cast those demons out. I told you you couldn't have done it. I, if I would have done it this way, whatever. So it started, as you know, here it's like this man was tattling on I asked your disciples, and they couldn't do it. And so they're like, well, shoot, that was your fault. I mean, they were going at it. So they're arguing. They got caught up in that. And Jesus knows what's in their heart. He knows about the reasoning of their hearts. And he took a child in verse 46, 47, and put him near his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives me who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. We're dealing with pride here. Pride is, comes very naturally to us. We don't have to do much to be prideful, right? Pride is what made Lucifer fall. Pride is a problem. One of my favorite commentators, John MacArthur, I'm going to read this little paragraph. Nothing comes more naturally to fallen human beings than pride, manifesting itself in self-centeredness, Self-love, self-promotion, and self-fulfillment. Pride is the defining sin of fallen human nature. The soil in which all other sins sprout, take root, and grow. It is the damning sin that produces angelic rebellion against God and sought to topple him from his throne as the sovereign ruler of the universe. Pride produced the sin of Adam and Eve, plunging the race into corruption That pride has been reclassified as a virtue throughout history and in contemporary society only reveals the depths of human depravity. I love that. I'll read that again. Pride has been reclassified as a virtue throughout history and in contemporary society only reveals the depths of human depravity. Isaiah wrote of such a wicked reversal of reality Quote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The world, run by Satan, pride is good. Self-fulfillment, achievement, me first. Gosh, look how admirable you are. Right? It's a reverse. Jesus was saying it's a reversal. The depravity of man has taken many things and flipped it on its head. We're walking around upside down. Reality is God's way. We're all upside down. We're all twisted and perverted. Upside down. So pride is going to naturally disrupt unity because they're all competing with each other. They're going to begin to compare. They're going to rank each other. But when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, 
when we get a new heart filled with his spirit, we go through this process of sanctification. Sanctification is the progressive triumph of humility over pride. Sanctification, and he who began a good work in you will complete it. We are his workmanship. He's doing this work. We have to cooperate with him, okay? But it is the, pro, the progressive influence of the Holy Spirit using humility to transform us into the image of God, to flip us back around so we got our heads in the right place. So verse 49, because he just talked to them about this, and now we have another example. John gets in a little bit of a titter here because, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not, what? Follow with us. He's not part of our group. He's not an elite like us. Now, granted, they were given the gift, the, the, the ability to cast out demons and do all this stuff. Um, so this person, this man, was casting out demons. We don't know if it was successful or not. We don't know. But he was saying, doing things in the name of Jesus. We don't know much more about him. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. If as long as the work is for the glory of God, let it go. Community Bible study, Bible study fellowship, this church, that church. We're not competing. We're all doing the the work of God, then let it go. Um, As long as the work supports life and alleviates suffering, leave it alone. Okay, it's doing the work of the kingdom. Childlike, the lowest in society at that time. Children had no rights, the lowest in society. Jesus used that example, that fallen minds just think opposite to spiritual reality. And that's why the world doesn't hate us and they don't understand us. All right, verse 41. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Again, we'll look at the translation there. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. All right. Taken up. Um, King James, I think, is received up. It's not a very accurate interpretation. If you go back to the Greek, you're going to find out that the word's meaning is more about an assumption, not an ascension. He hadn't ascended yet. Okay, what he's looking at next in his timeline is the cross. And so it was time for him to, be, to go to the cross. So he set his face to go to the cross, to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. If he had been received up, he would have been received up on that mountain, right? But he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Assumption, if you use the word assumption in there, he was now 
taking possession, assumption, taking it in. He's taking possession now of the work the Father gave him to do, which was the cross. So the time has come for him to be, to go to the cross. And so he sent his some messengers ahead to a village to make preparations for him to come. Well, why on earth does he send them to Samaria? Right? Doesn't make sense. Samaritans, the Jews, you know, hey, you Jew boys, go on over there where they hate you and set up. We're going to make preparations. Well, here's, you know, they're traveling to Jerusalem. All the Jews are going to Jerusalem because it was the Feast of Tabernacles, right? All these people come through. Samaritans want these people in there. We don't want you Jews in here. Forget it. So it was a natural. Jesus knew that they were going to get, Mm-mm, you're not hanging out here. But he was making a point. And his point was, and Luke, being a Gentile himself, pulls out this story and makes the point that salvation is for everybody. Jesus was rejected because he was a Jew. But Jesus was teaching his disciples to have mercy because what do they say? Good old sons of thunders come in. Do you want us to blow up the place, you know? They, they don't know who they're talking to. What do you mean you don't want the Son of Man here, right? <laughs> when you just have love to travel with those guys, so. They had loyalty, but it was loyalty in the wrong direction, okay? Jesus was trying to communicate to them. That's not the gospel work. He came this time to save the lost The lost, even if they're hostile, ignorant sinners, he came to save the lost, not to destroy those who rejected the truth. There are religions out there that do that, destroy you if you don't believe their religion. But this is not Christianity. This loyalty that has the wrong spirit involved in it, I mean, they were all... You know, their loyalty was sincere. It's the same kind of misguided human confusion that kept Moses from seeing the promised land too. The spirit of the cross, Jesus was communicating to them, is like what? The lamb to the slaughter. That's where we're going. Following Christ is going all the way to the cross, bearing the shame with no anger. And besides... Jesus has already addressed this issue with them. If you look back in uh, chapter 9, verse 5, when Jesus was sending them out, he tells them, um, and wherever you do not, they do not receive you, when you leave that town, just shake off the dust from your feet. So they already knew this. They didn't have to burn up the place or anything. Before we can follow someone, we've got to know who they are, and we have got to take an inventory of everything else that could interfere with that. Um, pride, pride is a major th- hindrance to us as we follow. So they're going on, verse 57, last paragraph here. Winding it up, we're journeying to the cross. We're going to the cross. Three examples of people that are considering following Jesus, but there's conditions to following Jesus. Quickly, we're going to go through them. The first one in verses 47 to 48, he comes to Jesus 
And he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus tells him, foxes have holes and birds have, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What does that, any of that mean? If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to have a detachment from everything that prevents you to progress towards the cross. Remember now, following Jesus here? These people are talking about following Jesus. Where is he going? He's going to the cross. Denial. Take, deny everything and take up your cross and follow me. Things that keep us from doing that is, well, gee, I really like my house, or I really like this or that. I don't want to give this up. Hebrews 12, 1-3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Following Jesus is going through the cross, looking past and beyond that to the glory the weight of glory that we'll have we'll receive when we get on the other side of that. That's the path. You can't bypass it. You can't pitch tents and not go. You've got to go through the cross. Second man comes and Jesus asks him to follow. This is a little bit different. Jesus is calling him to follow. And what does he say? I need to make sure my father, he's not dead yet. Maybe his father was ill or dying. He had to stay and take care of him. After his father dies, he'll follow. Hmm, what's going on here? Is he waiting for that inheritance when good old dad turns over? Could be, financially. It just could be that, you know, there's an obligation there so tight to a family tie that he can't do that. Now, it's very noble to take care of your alien parents. But if Jesus calls you, and you know for sure it's that, Jesus will take care of your dying father. Jesus will take care of all that. Okay, so you've got to weigh it. You've got to be in prayer and good fellowship with God. Okay? Our earthly ties, those, those, humanly re, those earthly relationships, we need to trust God for all those things. The final guy in verse 61 Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first, let me say farewell to all those people at home. And Jesus says to him, no, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. What's going on here? Following Jesus, outright fidelity to Jesus through all the, pro allowing nothing, nothing to hinder you. No anchors, no holding back. Fear can be because of insecurity from home. Um, if we follow Jesus, are we going to be ostracized by our families because you're going to Christian Jesus freak, you know? We've got to be willing to let all that stuff go to follow Jesus. So following Jesus to the cross, following Jesus is doing as he has done, detachment from all the things that hinder. I mean, when he was on that mount talking to Moses and Elijah, no one would lie beyond the joy that lied beyond the cross. Um, he could have had that, but he would have been disobedient to his father. So in other words, he couldn't sin. There was no choice here for that. But I'm sure there was a, a, a pressure from that. He gave it all up. 
I actually looked up the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I have it written down here. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Second one, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God, which is contained in scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. We just talked about following Jesus. You have to follow him through the cross. You've got to go all the way, sellouts. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God created man and that he created us for his glory. And therefore, the ultimate purpose of man is to simply glorify God. So, we've got to go all the way to the cross. Lord God, we just thank you that we don't have to walk this alone. That you go with us. You've gone before us. You hem us in from behind. And you're with us through everything. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We fear no evil because you are with us. And we set our sights on that glorious day um, in heaven reunited. And we keep going. We don't turn to the right or to the left. Help us to go straight to your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen.